You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. And we are in the books, the book of Acts, the books of Acts. We are in the book of Acts, chapter 20. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We are looking at Paul's farewell address to a group of pastors from the city of Ephesus on the shores of Miletus. And we have looked so far at how Paul describes his ministry and described how his ministry was like amongst them. And of course, he is encouraging them to do the same thing to take up where he's leaving off. And we saw how Paul described a persistent ministry, persistent in his service, in his teaching, and in his message. And then last week we looked at how Paul described his his ministry in terms of purpose. Paul clearly understood that there was a purpose in suffering, and then he also understood what his purpose was in serving. That he would finish his race, the course that he had been given in the ministry which he had received from the Lord Jesus, which was to testify solemnly to the gospel of the grace of God. And now we are looking at verse 25 through 27 where Paul describes his ministry as a preaching ministry. And so I have the inexpressible pleasure of preaching to you today about a subject that I have a lot of passion about and that is the subject of preaching. And I'm passionate about it not because I do it. But listen, I would I would be I was passionate about preaching before I ever felt that God had called me to do this. Bef- I was passionate about preaching when I denied that God would ever call me to do this. Um, I would be passionate about preaching if I never preached another sermon. If after today God took my voice from me and I never said another word for the rest of my life, I would still feel passionately about preaching. And I would probably sign really passionately about the subject of preaching whenever I talked about it. So I am passionate about it for a lot of reasons and it has nothing to do with the fact that this is what I do. I I'm passionate about it because of what Scripture says about preaching and about the Word of God. And you're going to ask yourself, so what does this have to do with me? Because this message is given to pastors, to elders, to teachers, and I am, I am not one. So you may feel passionately about this, Jim, but what does it have to do with me? Let me tell you something. There are certain things that if they are not in a church, that church is not a healthy body of believers. And one of them is the preaching of the Word. If the preaching of the Word, biblical preaching, not just a sermon, not just a message, not just some guy getting up and talking, but if there is not biblical preaching that is present in a church, that church is not healthy. It does not matter if there are 20 people that attend that church or 20,000 people that attend that church. It doesn't matter if that church has no ministries going on or if they have a ministry, a whitewater rafting ministry and they got a hunting ministry and a fishing ministry and a ministry to the ladies who have three-legged dogs. It doesn't matter how many ministries you have going on. It doesn't matter how many people you have present. If the Word of God is not preached as God intended it to be preached, it's not a healthy church. It may look healthy on the outside, but inside it is sick, it is weak, And I can guarantee you that the power of God and the presence of God are not present. I don't care what kind of external things are in place. You cannot have a healthy church if this one thing is not present, which is why Paul emphasizes it so much, which is why it says when he came to Ephesus that all of 
Asia heard the word of the Lord because Paul was preaching and he was teaching and he was persuading men. He had a biblical preaching ministry. There are four categories of people here this morning. You're gonna, you're gonna fall into one of these four categories. First category is this. Those who are called to preach and to teach and who do that. Now I know that that's not everybody. I know that that's a small number of people. There are some in the body of Christ, Ephesians 4 says, who have been given a supernatural gift, a, an empowering ability by the Spirit of God, and that is how the Spirit of God works through that individual. They are gifted to teach and to preach, and that's what they give their lives to. That is what the, they are students of the Word. When they teach, you understand Scripture. It becomes, it, it comes alive and with power. There are people who have been given that ability. There are those who are called to teach and preach. That would include Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders who have been called through the local body and through their giftedness to explain and expound upon the Word of God in different and various settings. It would include elders, slash pastors, slash overseers, who are all the same thing. An elder is a teacher, and the primary function of an elder is to teach the Word of God. And an elder that does not teach the Word of God is a contradiction in terms. If an elder does not have a consistent role of studying Scripture and teaching Scripture, he is not an elder. He might be a good leader. He might be a gifted counselor. He might be a a wonderful deacon, a great servant, but he's not an elder. Because the elder's role is a role primarily of teaching. And and listen, everything else takes a back seat to that. He's not the janitor, the groundskeeper, the organizer, the administrator, the church potluck overseer. He's none of those things. The elder's responsibility primarily, first and foremost, above all things, He is a minister of the Word of God. That is His job. That is His calling. That is His gift. That is His task. And everything else must take a back seat to that. So there are those who are called to preach and teach. There's a second category. There are some who have been called to preach and gifted to preach who don't do it because they don't think that they're called or gifted to preach or to teach. That's where I was for a long time. People said, you should teach. And I said, no, I'm not a gifted teacher. I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't know what my spiritual gift is, but it's not teaching. So then I finally, over a long period of time and much struggle, came to the conclusion that the Lord really would like me to serve the body of Christ by teaching in some capacity. So I took on Sunday school, and then people would say, you should preach. I said, I'm not a preacher. I've not been given the gift of preaching. I will never preach. That's what I said. So for years I was in that category too. This is what the Lord was calling me for and equipping me for, and I didn't know that. I didn't see that coming. I didn't seek it out. I didn't want it, but it's something that happened. There are some people here today who are in that category. How do I know that? Because any group of people this big of believers has some man or some men in here who have been given that ability who have not yet manifested that. And with some training in sound doctrine and some teaching and some basic skills, you would have that capacity as well. There's a third category. Now, before you jump up and say, oh, well, maybe I've been called to teach and preach and I should run up and do that. There's a third category. So here's the caution. There are some who think they're called to teach and preach and they're not. There are some who think that that's their calling, and they're not. Those are people who are not sound in doctrine. They could not tell the difference between truth and error if both of them were labeled with big white letters. They cannot understand a text. They do not know how to study a text. They do not understand the text in its context and how that relates. And when they get up to teach it as if the Holy Spirit leaves the room. They're just not gifted to do that. They're not called to do that. And there are plenty of men, and we'll look at them in the next few verses in the book of Acts, there are plenty of men who think of themselves as teachers of others, and they're not. Because they're not sound in doctrine. 
We call them wolves. We call them uh, false teachers. The people who are, think they have the gift of teaching, but you've never met anybody who has the gift of listening. Those type of people. There's a fourth category. And this is where most Christians fit. You're not called to teach or preach. It's just the way it is. It's not that that makes you less than somebody else. It's not that the teacher is greater than others. Quite the contrary. If you've been given the gift of teaching, that makes you a servant of all. By nature of the gift. Makes you a servant of all. So if you haven't been given that gift, that's not a mark against you at all. You can't have everybody be mouth. Somebody has to be an ear. And so you've got ears in the body of Christ, and you have mouths in the body of Christ. You have hands, and you have uh, legs and feet. And so everybody's given a different gift. And most Christians simply are not gifted to teach, and that's not what God intends for them to do. Those are the four categories. But all of us fall into this category. And that is, we are responsible to be able to discern the difference between good preaching and a bad preaching ministry in order that we might know what to sit under. We have to be able to discern the difference between what is a good preaching ministry and what is a bad preaching ministry. Because any hokey joke can get a radio program. And you're bombarded every day with sermons, not biblical sermons, but messages on the radio, through TV, on videos, tapes and CDs, internet, print material. You're bombarded every day with this stuff. And every Christian should have the ability to discern whether or not the person who is presenting the message is doing so the way God has called them to present the message. Now let me offer you a couple of considerations before we start looking at Paul's text where he describes his preaching ministry. First, we're not talking about any kind of subjective standard. We're not talking about comparing preachers with preachers and teachers with teachers. And Well, this guy, he's biblical and so everybody has to measure up to him. No, there is an objective standard of what is biblical and what is right and what God has called the preacher or teacher to do. And everybody must measure themselves by that objective standard. It is outside of us. There is biblical preaching and there is unbiblical preaching. It's that cut and dry. Second, we're not talking about issues of style. I'm not talking about whether somebody paces back and forth across the stage or whether they stand in one place like their feet are glued to the floor not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about whether somebody has no pulpit in front of them or whether they're glued to this thing like they're afraid it's going to grow legs and run away from them while they're up there talking. I'm not talking about whether he flails his arms all over the place like a helicopter trying to take off or he keeps his hands in his pockets for the whole message. We're not talking about style. You ever seen a pastor do that? they got enough quarters in their pockets to buy a used car, four sets of keys and a couple cowbells, and they sit there and they jingle them. The whole message sounds like Christmas time at the mall. Every sermon sounds like Christmas time at the mall. It's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about whether you write out a manuscript and you stand up here and you read your manuscript, or whether you have extensive notes and the pastor stands up here and reads his notes like this and he's always looking for his place in the notes and he never looks up and you start to wonder, does our pastor have eyeballs? Because I've never seen them. Or whether you have no notes whatsoever. It's not what I'm talking about. None of those things matter. There is one thing that matters. And listen, if you get nothing else, get this. This is the question. What does he do with the biblical text? That's the question. What does he do with the biblical text? Paul describes his preaching ministry, Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick it up at verse 25. And I want you to look at three things. 
three ways in which Paul describes biblical preaching, or at least three things that we can see here. And this is not comprehensive. If I were to write a chapter, a book, or newsletter article, I might include six, seven, or eight things. But these three things that Paul sort of identifies help us to at least paint a picture of what biblical preaching is. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Just those three verses I want you to notice. All of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom of God will no longer see my face. You will no longer see my face. I want you to focus in on verse 25 for a second. We're going to move to verse 26 and look at the responsibility of the preaching ministry because the first mark of biblical preaching Biblical preaching is responsible preaching. It's responsible preaching. Paul says to them, you're not going to see me anymore. This is his farewell address. He's, he's handing over the ministry to them. The, all of the shepherding responsibilities Paul is giving to the elders of this church, the pastors of this church, and he's saying, you're not going to see me. Now, here's a little interesting side note. Paul did see them again. He didn't foresee this. He's not expecting this. But listen, after the end of the book of Acts, after Acts was written, when Paul was released from prison, he went back to Ephesus, and there he found Hymenaeus and Alexander had come into the church in Ephesus, and they were making shipwreck of men's faith. Teaching things that they should not teach, going through the laws and the genealogies, and they had almost destroyed the church. And so Paul left Timothy in Ephesus, and Paul left Ephesus, and that's when he wrote 1 Timothy to Timothy, who he had left to pastor the church in Ephesus. So Paul did see them. But he is not expecting to see them, and so he's telling them, I'm not going to see you again. It's not that Paul's lying, and it's not that that Scripture's an error. It's just that that shows us that Paul couldn't see the future. He's not expecting to see him. What's he expecting? Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him, except that when he gets to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions await him. So Paul knows that his life is going to take one of two courses. Either he's going to go to Jerusalem, and then to Rome, and then on to Spain, as he's planned to do, and he wrote to the Romans saying, this is what I'm doing. Or he's going to face death. It's one of those two things. Either way, that doesn't include Ephesus in Paul's mind, in Paul's plan. All of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom of God. Now here's a question for you. Does preaching the kingdom of God, is that different than preaching the word? Is that different than preaching the gospel? Is that a different message? You know, it's not. That's Luke and Paul's sort of pet way of describing the gospel and the whole purpose of God. When you preach the kingdom of God, you are preaching the message of the King. It's synonymous with preaching the Word. When you preach the kingdom of God, when that is your message, it is the message that the King has given you to preach, which is the Gospel and the exposition of Scripture. And so we are the message of the Gospel. Think of it this way. The message of the Gospel is this message. We are born in the kingdom of darkness. Born in the kingdom of sin and self and Satan and death and disease and destruction. We are slaves to sin. That is the kingdom in which we are born. God offers to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. And so the proclamation of the Gospel message is you're born in one kingdom and now you are transferred by the Gospel into another kingdom. That's the message of the kingdom. It was Paul's way of describing the whole purpose of God. God's sovereign rule, all of His grace, all of His word, all of His purpose, Everything that could be said about the message that we are called to proclaim, that is the message of the kingdom. That we are children of light in the kingdom of light. That's the kingdom message. Now look at how responsible he took this proclamation. Verse 26. 
Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now you recognize that right away probably from the prophet Ezekiel. Remember that? Ezekiel likened his prophetic ministry, or actually the Lord said to Ezekiel, that his prophetic ministry was likened to a watchman on the wall. And the watchman would stand on the wall, and if he saw an invading army come in, he would blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. And if the people didn't do anything, they just kind of kept on going about their lives, and they were invaded and taken over, the watchman was innocent because he had sounded the alarm and warned the people. But if, on the other hand, the watchman on the wall saw the invading army come, and he didn't blow the trumpet, and he didn't sound the alarm, and the invading army came in and slaughtered the entire city because they had no warning, then the blood for all of those people was on the watchman's head. And then the Lord said to Ezekiel, it's just the same way with you. If I have given to you a revelation, if I have given to you a message to preach, and you don't preach it, then you are responsible for the blood of all of those to whom you were sent to preach the message. And it is the same way with Paul. That's how he saw himself. Paul could say, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because the Lord has delivered to me a message and I have faithfully, accurately, and biblically proclaimed that message and so I'm innocent of everybody's blood. He took it very seriously. Friends, do you understand that the preaching and teaching of the Word, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're on this side of the podium, the preaching and teaching of the Word is more serious, more solemn, more sober than you can possibly have words to describe. That's why James says, let not many of you become teachers because you will receive a stricter judgment. Stricter judgment. That should make you shake. You know why it's serious? It's serious because of the content that we're called to preach. It's not my ideas. It's not my principles. It's not my politics. It's not my priorities. It's not my thoughts or anything that makes me feel good. That's not what I'm called to preach. That's not what a preacher or teacher is called to preach. The preacher or teacher is called to take this pure, incorruptible, undefiled, eternal Word of the Most High God and to proclaim this exactly as it was originally delivered. That's key. Exactly as it was originally delivered. That's the call. That's what you're called to do. You don't edit it. You don't change it. You don't select what you like and what you don't like. You deliver it as it was delivered. Because it is the Word of the eternal God. And the herald, the teacher or the preacher, must stand before the One who gave him the message and answer for how he delivered the message. That should make you shake. That should make you realize how serious and how solemn of a responsibility it is to teach or to preach the Word of God. Because it's not like teachers and preachers are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you did your best. Yeah, I know you didn't work hard. You did your best. Hey, uh, you got up every Sunday and you talked. Come on in. No, James says stricter judgment. The standard is beyond belief. That is why I say there are biblical messages and there are unbiblical messages and we ought to be able to discern the difference between the two. It's serious because of the content of what we're called to preach. It's also a serious responsibility, friends, because of what happens during the preaching of the Word. Haddon Robinson, author of Biblical Preaching, he says there is a power in the Word preached that is not there when the Word is read. 
There is a power in the word preached that is not there when the word is read. What he means by that, and he's not slighting the written word of God at all, what he means by that is that in the proclamation of the word, there is a dynamic that is released where the Spirit of God who has promised to bless the preaching of the Word of God is active in people's hearts, and He brings the Word of God to bear upon the hearts of the people who hear it. And so there is a divine power that takes place in biblical preaching and teaching that is not there if we all just sat here and read the same passage this morning. Karl Barth said that when in the preaching of the Word, God Himself speaks. Why? Because the preacher takes the Word of God and he unfolds it to the people so that the people hear what God said to the original audience as if they were the original audience. They understand as if Luke were writing to them. Oh, that's what Acts chapter 20 is about. Now I see how that is. Now I understand what that means. That's what we call exposition. Don't run away from that long word. It's not a hard word. Exposition simply means to expose. Do you know what an exposition is? Do you know what an expository sermon is? An expository sermon is a sermon that exposes the meaning of this text to you and it exposes you to the meaning of this text. That's exposition. So rather than take an idea of what I have in my mind or what I would like to talk on, some topic or some cute little three-point outline with some neat stories from my family, and then I take the Bible and I kind of, well, I need to put some verses in there, so I'm going to sprinkle some verses on that message there and This one's not coming out, so I'll tear it from my context because it comes out a lot better when they're ripped out of context. And then they'll just sort of fall out like salt in a real big salt shaker. That's one way of looking at it. That's one way people do preaching. That's unbiblical. The biblical way to do preaching is to take the text, to read it, and then give an explanation of the revelation. Here's the revelation. Here is what it means. So you're sitting there and you're listening to the explanation of the revelation and you understand If you're going through the book of Romans, for instance, you understand the revelation the same way that the Roman Christians who received that in the first century would have understood that revelation. So then you hear God speak through His Word, as His Word is explained, as His Word is exposed to you, and you're exposed to the meaning of the text. The question to ask is, what text did the pastor preach from? Do I understand what that text said? What that text means? so that I can obey it. And if you can't answer that question, you haven't heard biblical preaching. You may have heard him reference a few Scripture references, but that doesn't... Just because you baptize a sermon with Scripture references doesn't make it biblical. It's a solemn responsibility. Literally, the weight of eternity rests upon everybody who takes upon themselves the mantle of teacher or preacher. And if you are responsible for teaching or preaching the Word of God, and you do not literally tremble at the threshold of the biblical text, then you don't understand the responsibility. You have to have that gravity. You have to have that weight so that you understand how responsible you are. That's why Paul said to Timothy, when he talked about preaching, be sober in all things. He said to Titus, Use sound words. Be sober, Titus. Look at Paul's own ministry up in verse 21. Solemnly testifying to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, I solemnly testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I'm innocent of the blood of all men because Paul understood how responsible 
his preaching was and how responsible he was to accurately convey to all of his listeners the meaning of what he was preaching. It's responsible preaching. Biblical preaching is responsible preaching. I had somebody tell me who lives out of state, told me not too long ago, they said, Jim, you'd love our pastor. Our pastor, he's like a stand-up comic. He gets up there every Sunday and he has us laughing and there are Sundays when I leave and my sides hurt. I've laughed so hard. And he has us all feeling good and he starts off with a joke and he could have been a stand-up comic, but God called him to preach. And I want to just throw up all over him. That makes me so angry to hear that. God has not called him to preach. He should have been a stand-up comic. Friends, the preacher or the teacher is responsible to faithfully communicate the revelation as the revelation was given. And if he doesn't do that, he has prostituted his calling. Period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And there's no easy way to say it. If you do not communicate the revelation as the revelation was given, you have prostituted your calling. It's a serious, sober responsibility. Biblical preaching is responsible preaching. So you got to ask yourself, is the person that I'm listening to, does he take his responsibility seriously? Does he take the text seriously? Does he approach it with hard work and with study? Is he diligent in his understanding of the text? Does he, when he preaches, preach with a solemn and somber attitude? Doesn't mean you never use humor. I've used some here this morning. But look, if you want, if you want to be entertained, the first church of fluffy doctrine is right down the street. Go there. You don't have to come here. You shouldn't go to church to be entertained. If you want to be entertained, stay home. No pastor on the planet can compete with television. Do you take it seriously? Does he take it seriously? And when this man stands before a pulpit, can I tell that he takes not only the text, but his eternal responsibility seriously? It's not only responsible preaching, second mark of biblical preaching, it's bold preaching. Look what Paul says in verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I didn't cower back. I didn't soft pedal it. I didn't change it. I didn't water it down. I didn't compromise it. I didn't try and explain it away in some way that would make you feel comfortable. I was not a coward. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Biblical preaching is bold preaching. It is preaching that says, this is truth, and this is what truth means, and this is how the truth applies, and this is what we do to obey it. That's bold preaching. I've actually heard messages and been in lessons and in front of pulpits where I have heard the preacher say something like this. Well, the text seems to say that, that we are eternally secure in Christ. I mean, that seems like the straightforward reading of the text, but there are people who would disagree with that, so you decide, let's move on to the next verse. That is cowardly. That's cowardly. That's shrinking back. It's shrinking back to not proclaim what is revealed just because it might be divisive, just because it might offend some of the sheep, just because it might drive away a few of the goats. That's shrinking back. And listen, boldness is not arrogance. You know what arrogance is? Arrogance is standing up here and taking my idea of what I would like to say, sprinkling it with Bible verses, and then proclaiming that with boldness. That's arrogance. Because that assumes the authority is mine. The authority is not mine. The individual who preaches or teaches the Word of God, has an authority between the covers of this book that is not his own. And he can and should stand up and proclaim it with boldness 
the boldness that this book is worthy of. And do it with passion. And do it with boldness. Because to be timid in preaching is sin. I believe that. To be cowardly in preaching is sin. To stand in a pulpit and say, I'm not sure what that verse means. Well then shut up and sit down because I don't want to listen to you. Give me somebody who understands the text. Who has done the work. Who knows how this works and what that is. And let him stand up and proclaim that with boldness. And if I disagree and I think he's lying, then I'll leave. But don't stand up and shrink back and say, hey, I'm not sure what it means. Might mean this, might mean that. Let's just not take a position on it. Let's go on to the next verse. It's arrogant to proclaim your own ideas as if you have authority. To proclaim your own outline sprinkled with Bible verses as if the message comes through you and from you and by you. That's arrogance. It's simply obedience to stand up and to boldly proclaim what has boldly been revealed on black and white for all to see. Biblical preaching is responsible preaching. Biblical preaching is bold preaching. And third, biblical preaching is comprehensive preaching. Notice the end of verse 27. I did not shrink back from declaring to you all my thoughts. Is that what Paul said? I did not shrink back from declaring to you everything you wanted to hear. All of my good ideas. I did not shrink back from declaring to you all kinds of great Christian feel-good things. Is that what he says? What? The whole purpose of God. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. From eternity past to eternity future. Everything that pertains to life and godliness from what happened in eternity past in election to what will happen in eternity future with glorification and everything in between. Biblical preaching covers all the bases. When Paul was with these Ephesian elders for these three years, he gave to them the panorama of Christian theology and doctrine. He taught everything that was profitable, verse 20 says. He taught them everything that was profitable, all of the purpose of God. Everything contained in Revelation, Paul taught. He didn't shrink back from any of it. He didn't say, well, the Ephesians really are not, um, they're not mature enough to understand this. They probably won't understand it, so I won't teach it to them. Hogwash. If they can't understand it, make them understand it. If you can't make them understand it, then you shouldn't be teaching. But give it to them. The whole purpose of God. Everything should be covered. I'm going to give you a trade secret. Well, let me tell you this first. One thing you should look for in a biblical preaching ministry, is somebody who preaches through a Bible book from the beginning to the end and covers every single text in that book in its context, explaining the meaning of the revelation as it was given. Rather than somebody who henpecks around the Bible, brings together a few verses, and proclaims it around some cute outline with a bunch of stories. Now let me, let me, I'm going to let you in on a trade secret. Magicians, when they do this, they're excommunicated from their magician uh, enclaves. That's why when you're watching a documentary on how they do tricks or something, they always cover their faces and mask their voices a little bit so that they don't get excommunicated for revealing how it is that they saw people in half in those little boxes. I'm going to tell you a little secret that most pastors do not want you to know. You ready for this? When you do not preach through a book from the first to the last you are able to defraud your congregation and they don't even know it. You're able to defraud your congregation and they don't even know it. It's a ruse. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Say I were to do a series on marriage 
Everybody in here would want to do that. The only people who don't struggle in their marriage are people who are not married. So that would meet the felt need of almost every, every pew in here would have somebody who would say, man, that was right what I needed to hear, marriage. Because I struggle with marriage. Yeah, no kidding. So does your pastor. Everybody struggles with that. Everybody's wrestling through that issue. So say I were to do a series on marriage, and I do, say, six weeks. Most pastors do six, eight-week little sermonette series like that. And so the first week we, I read from Ephesians 5, and I tell a few jokes and tell a few stories and make a few comments and work in a verse out of Ephesians 5 and a verse out of Ephesians 5 and a couple of those. And then the next week we're in Colossians 3. And, and so I tell a few jokes and tell a few stories. And the next week is Genesis 3, and then we're First Peter 3, and, and then we wrap it up with a few Proverbs about a drippy faucet and a leaky roof and the corner of a rooftop and all that stuff. And that's, that's the series on, on uh, marriage. Now, all of those texts would have to do with marriage. And everything I might have said might have been true over the whole six weeks. But let me ask you a question. What do you know about the book of Ephesians when we're all done? What do you know about Colossians? What do you know about 1 Peter? What do you know about Genesis? What do you know about the context of the Proverbs? The answer? Nothing. And you can sit under that kind of preaching for 20 or 30 years, and at the end of 20 or 30 years, somebody can come up and say, what do you know about the book of Ephesians? And the answer will be the same as at the beginning. Nothing. Why? Because our pastor never told us the whole counsel of God. Our pastor henpecked through the pages of Scripture and found nice little convenient and easy verses that he could sort of bring together and give us a nice little feel-good message. But we know nothing of the whole purpose of God. We never studied the whole book of 1 Peter. Did you know that if, if I preached a sermon on Ephesians 5, do you know there's four chapters before Ephesians chapter 5? Did you know that Ephesians 5 is not at the beginning of the book? It's actually toward the end of the book. And there are four chapters of the whole purpose of God that you have to understand before Ephesians 5 even begins to make sense. You have to have that in its context. While I'm giving away trade secrets, let me give you away another one. That type of preaching takes no time whatsoever. Somebody can stand up and speak for 40 minutes having prepared a sermon like that, and I can guarantee you that if they got two hours into preparation, they're lucky. Two hours. Max. I could cut 25 hours off of my any given work week if I did that. Why? Because you don't have to deal with the text. You see, when you're going through a book, if you're sitting there and you say, <clears throat> oh, Pastor Jim was in verse 9 last week, and he's starting in verse 14 this week. What's between those two verses? Oh, lo and behold, it's one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament. But I don't want to put the work into studying it, so we're just going to skip it. You see, I can't defraud you because you pick up on it. You begin to pick up on Oh, he's... He's henpecking through the Scriptures, skipping all of the difficult passages, all of the offensive passages, anything that might consternate us. And so you get defrauded. Remember what I told you? Biblical preaching is explaining the revelation as the revelation was given. Imagine, imagine that you're Malachi. And the Lord says to you, Malachi, here is what you are to say. This is your message given you this message to proclaim. And then Malachi says, or you say, that's a good one, Lord. Let's see, I'm going to take um, verse 2. That'll be one point. Verse uh, 16 will be one, another point. And then I think Isaiah said some real good things about that subject. So I'm going to go over to Isaiah. I'm going to grab a couple of his verses, and, and I'm going to work that in, and, and now i got my three-point message. Is that how Revelation was given? How did it come? By book. Paul didn't write a verse here and a verse there and a verse there. Then a verse here and a verse there and a verse there. God expects His message to be delivered as it was originally delivered. It was delivered as a unit. It was delivered as a revelation. It was delivered as a unit of truth. 
The book of Galatians is the book of Galatians. And if you're going to preach Galatians, you need to preach Galatians from the first to the last because that's how it was delivered. And anytime you take the message of God as it was delivered and begin to edit it and say, I'll take this passage and this passage and this passage, I'll make a nice little three-point outline. Anytime you begin to do that, and that is your habit of preaching, you have become not a proclaimer, but an editor of divine truth. You've taken what you want out of the book, fashioned it around your own message, and created not his message, but your message. And all of the divine power then is cut off and all of the blessing evaporates. Why? Because the preacher or teacher has not explained the revelation as the revelation was given. The revelation was given as this. And so you explain that as it was given, as a unit, as a whole. That's biblical preaching. It's responsible. It is bold. And it is comprehensive. Here's the problem that we face today. I can walk out of a sermon, out of a church, with somebody right beside me, and we'll walk out into the parking lot, and the person right beside me will say, man, that was good preaching. Man, that guy could preach. Man, that guy is gifted. He was natural. He stood up there, and he had his flip-flops on, and his shorts on, and his t-shirt, and his baseball cap, and he was doing his preaching thing, and he was just as natural in the pulpit. It looked like he was born in a pulpit. That guy was such a gift. That was the best sermon I've ever heard. And on the other side, I'm saying to myself, that was garbage. That was the worst bunch of tripe I have ever seen unloaded on any congregation in my life. What's the difference? Is it because I'm comparing him to me and I think so highly of myself and I'm trying to evaluate him in terms of how I would do it? (laughs) If I were me, which I am, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear myself preach. So that's not it. Is it because I'm evaluating Him in terms of some other preacher whom I really respect? No. What was the central question? It's this. What did He do with the biblical text? Did He open it up and expound it and explain it to the people so they understood what was being said? Or did He edit it, carve it up, soft-pedal it, be timid? What does He do with the biblical text? Does he preach it responsibly? Does he preach it boldly? And does he responsibly and boldly proclaim the whole counsel of God? Or does he just henpeck what he wants and puts that together and tries to serve it to his people? Biblical preaching is responsible, it is bold, and it is comprehensive. That's how Paul described his own preaching ministry. And may God give to us the grace to be faithful communicators of his word and discerning listeners as well. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the power that is there. Power as it is read, power as it is preached, power as it is obeyed. We are grateful that You use it to save us and to sanctify us and to secure us for the inheritance that we have among the saints. And Lord, we ask that You would give to us today the grace and the discernment to faithfully and accurately proclaim the truth that You have given as it has been given the meaning as it was intended in order that Jesus Christ may be glorified and that you'd also make us discerning listeners able to discern the difference between the Bible preached, the Word proclaimed, and man's thoughts proclaimed and having been baptized with biblical language. We pray all of this and we trust upon your grace for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. 
If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.